This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Want to change it up, want to redefine the definition of sport here in this country when it comes to media. We're going to talk water polo. Oldest sport at the Olympic Games on the men's side, Olympic sport on the women's side since 2000. Incredibly popular sport, particularly amongst young athletes. We've got two kids who are involved in it. And in more recent times, I've been involved in it from a broadcasting point of view. And some, some people might say, well, getting water polo on, that perhaps I'm being a little bit biased. I will just simply say no, being involved in water polo, I've been lucky enough to educate myself and broaden my horizons. Is it a tough sport aerobically? It's incredibly physical. And the New Zealand women's team is ranked anywhere from 9 to 11 in the world and came very close to qualifying automatically for next year's Olympics in Paris. The Australian team, known as the Stingers, if they had have reached the World Championship final, they would have qualified automatically for Paris, and by default we would have picked up the Oceania spot. However, that didn't happen. They were narrowly beaten in the semi-final against Spain by just two goals, meaning that New Zealand then had to play Australia over the weekend in a best-of-three series to see who would represent Oceania at the Olympic Games in Paris next year. Now, realistically, the New Zealand women's water polo team weren't expecting to win this series. I think they have their eyes on future Olympics, particularly Brisbane 232, where Australia, being the host nation, will automatically qualify. But New Zealand don't just want to go to the Olympics, they want to be able to compete. And so it was great to have the Australian team in town for two test matches, Friday night and Saturday night. There would have been a third tomorrow if, in fact, New Zealand were able to grab a win. That wasn't the case. They were beaten 17-3 in the first game and 15-5 in the second. And you can look at it and say, well, that's a big blowout. Yes, in the first game, I think the New Zealand team were a little bit disappointing, but a much improved performance last night. And a lot of things that I think the women's programme can be proud of and certainly a lot of things they can improve on. So to talk about water polo in this country, the men's programme, the women's programme, is a gentleman who I've worked with as a commentator. He is one of New Zealand's uh, leading coaches. His name is Hamish MacDonald and he joins us this afternoon. G'day Hamish. Afternoon Mark, how are you? Very well, thank you. Okay, give us your summation of the New Zealand women's team's performances against Australia over those two test matches that have just been played. Yeah, it was an interesting test series really. Um, I think Friday night, that 17-3 loss, I think the team would have been pretty disappointed with, with, that, with that performance, um, especially offensively. Um, they sort of lacked the ability to, to score the goals needed to, to be competitive. And, and you might wonder, well, they only scored two more the next night, but I think the chances they were creating uh, last night in their 15-5 loss were, were considerably better than the ones they were pushing out on Saturday. Um, defensively, they were competitive. Um, the World Championship Games that Australia were involved in, those big close matches, they were 14-12, 11-10, so only conceding 15 goals. They're not far away defensively, but I think it'll be the offence that they'll be uh, looking for 
you know, going forward. Yeah, now they were missing Morgan McDowell. Uh, she was not available for selection. She's the daughter of All Black great Steve McDowell. Now she is a player who is genuinely world class and normally would occupy that centre forward position. Yeah, no, she is a, um, a crucial part of that team, and you know it's obviously a shame that that Morgan wasn't available for that last World Championships and and this series. Um, she creates a lot of extra. Extra things going on on the offensive end and allows players like Emily Nicholson and Sophie Shorter Robinson, the New Zealand centre forwards, um, who are in the team currently, um, allows them more space and time to move as well when Morgan's in there, um, creating a little bit of havoc, as we say. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we had Bronte Halligan, the daughter of Daryl Halligan, playing for Australia. Um, we also had the daughter of Phil Kearns, the great Australian rugby player, who's just arguably the most influential forward in women's netball at the moment. What is it with rugby players and their daughters all getting into water polo? No idea, no idea. <laughs> Although I do know that people say it's pretty physical. Water polo is pretty physical, so I think it, um, maybe there's a little bit of correlation there. Um, the one good thing, though, if you're ever thinking about playing water polo is whilst it's nice and physical, it probably lacks the impact that um, that rugby has. But um, I think there's definitely some sort, something to be said there for the for the physicality of both sports. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Talking to Angie Wynne-Stanley, the coach of the New Zealand women's team, um, you know, they have shown huge progression over the last two or three years. Uh, she was talking about the game against Italy at the World Championships where they ended up losing 14-7 but technically won the second half. And it seems to me that the New Zealand women's team at the moment can match these top teams for periods of the game but it's been able to put that full 32 minutes together. Yeah, I think that's definitely a big part of it. I think for, for us it's difficult um, when water polo is so focused in, in Europe and in, in America and the women's side, not so much the men's side, but you know the sport is played predominantly in Europe and I think for our for our group and our team, it's, it needs to, we need to get more games against those top nations. I think we've, we've proven now we can dispatch the nations ranked below us pretty comfortably and regularly, but it's an opportunity, we need to get more opportunities to play against those top-ranked sides frequently, and that'll allow us to get better at, better at playing at that level for 32 minutes because we've got the talent to do it. It's just a matter of actually putting it into practice now. Mm. Yeah, Hamish, I, I, I just want to touch on that because you do look at the Australian program, you know, and they won gold medal in 2000, and a lot of people are talking about this team as potentially, potentially um, a year from now, you know, being a real contender for the gold medal in Paris. So, you know, they are the benchmark. But the Australians, they've got financial resource anyone that's travelled to Australia, you just see the wonderful facilities they have available, the outdoor pools, the indoor pools. It's a sport that is very much part of the Australian sporting fabric. Over here, we've got zero financial resource, basically. Players are pretty much self-funded, and arguably the biggest challenge facing the sport is just the lack of pool space. How do we address that? What is the solution here? I think the short-term solution is, you'll, and you're starting to see this now, so um, a bunch of the players in the New Zealand team will have the week off and then they're all back off to their clubs um, in Europe and playing overseas. Um, and it's, it's, it's a painful reality that almost all of our athletes now, as, as the Australians are though as well, are based overseas. So I think only two of the players who played for New Zealand last night will be in New Zealand for the rest of the year. Um, the, the other 11 will all be jetting off to play overseas. Um, I think that's the short-term solution. I think... The long term is we need more need more funding. We need more aquatic centres like the brand new one that's been built in Hawke's Bay. Um, if we could have one or two more of those around the country, 
uh, it's going to open up more opportunities, especially in the regions, um, to develop more and more talent. And we can keep players here at home, um, and then they can work together more frequently with with trips across to Europe to play those games. Why is it so popular amongst the youth? Why are so many kids taking up the sport? It starts with flipper ball, and then the natural progression is into water polo. And really, the only difference between flipper ball is that young kids play in pools where they can stand, where water polo, you clearly can't touch the bottom. Yeah, I think one of the things about water polo, it's, you know, it's popular, it's, it's short, it's sharp, it's, you know, for, for a game of a young kid, it's about an hour, you know what I mean? Um, it's physical, it's fast, but it's also, as I said, it's, it's still relatively low impact as such. Um, probably not risking the risking the joints like you are landing on landing a netball with an ACL or something like that. Um, but I think it's just it's that nature. It's a, it's a fun sport. It, it's great for your skills when you're when you're learning to play in the water. So I think parents are keen to get their kids involved. Um, and it's just it's just a fun sport to play, and I think that's why it's taking off. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because every kid I know that's had a taste of it loves it and suddenly just wants to play more of it introduce these kids and you've almost got them absolutely i think you know i think what would be great is if you know as i said more and more pools you know a lot of high schools in australia and stuff will have their own aquatic centers that they can train out of you know in new zealand i can only think off the top of my head of dio and st cuthbert's who have their own aquatic centers but the sport is absolutely booming at both of those schools you know because they can train on site um i'm involved with the st kennegan program um but we have to train at sacred heart so actually Sacred Heart have their own centre too. But, um, you know, we have to train off-site in the mornings and then head out to school. Whereas if we could be on our own school grounds in the morning, it would make a, a big difference to getting more players involved. Hamish McDonald on the programme. We are talking all things water polo. Uh, Hamish, yeah, interesting you bring up the schools because we have seen historically it has been sort of, I guess, the private schools, the resource schools that have their own facilities that tend to dominate the Dios, the St Cuthberts, the Sacred Hearts. Auckland Grammar have just put a facility in and you imagine them they will become a powerhouse again. But we are starting to see schools like Palmerston North uh, on the boys' side, Rangiroo down in Christchurch. We're starting to see Tauranga establish themselves. How important is it that the sport grows beyond the Bombays? And why hasn't it perhaps previously? Yeah, I think a lot of it has been, you know, resource. Um, just getting enough people with the, you know, there's people with great knowledge across the sport, you know, up and down the country, all the way from Invercargill um, up to Auckland. But I think for them, it's always been pool space. Um, a lot of those smaller towns, like you'll see it in Wellington, which were for a long time a powerhouse, um, but you even see it in the news now with Lewis Clearbert struggling to get lanes, you know, lane time um, for him to swim in. So if you're trying to book out the whole pool to practice for water polo, um, makes a big issue. Nine-Eye, the facility in Wellington's been out of action for a long time, so hopefully when they get that back, they'll be better. Christchurch is a new facility being built post-earthquake, so I think for, it is just the key one is, is pool space. Um, there's a lot, of, you know, a lot of people wanting to play aquatic sports now, and um, we're, we're amongst a bunch of people trying to compete for that time. So the more and more pool space we get, the more and more opportunities we'll have, um, and I think it's going to grow the sport immensely. Mm. Okay, look, I, I just want to go back to that Australian team that have been in town, um, and I just want to talk a couple about their players. So I, I, I mentioned the daughter of Phil Kearns, uh, the Wallaby who we loved to hate back in the 1990s, a great rivalry with Sean Fitzpatrick, but Tilly Kearns, just how good is she and what makes her so special? She is a very, very special player. Uh, it was my first time, you know, the last this week getting to watch her play live. But her, what she she is so dynamic and mobile. So a centre forward in water polo is typically someone who's, you know, one of your bigger, stronger players. 
um, and they sit on the two-metre line right in front of the goal. Um, but she, while she does that exceptionally well, she's so explosive and so fast, and her movement's very dynamic. So she can move side to side, follow the ball, um, and you watch her work on the New Zealand centre-back. So the people that defend someone like Tilly last night, there's a couple of times they knew what was coming, but they just couldn't stop it because she was, she was exceptional. Um, powerful, fast, strong, and, and explosive. I want to talk about Zoe Arancini. Uh, special night for her last night, her 300th appearance for Australia. I'm just trying to sort of put that in context. 300 games in any sport is remarkable. Uh, again, so I'm going to get you to put that in context. How how impressive is that statistic? Yeah, it's massive. Um, so our most capped player in New Zealand uh, is Jess Milicic, um and Emerson Houghton. I think they're about on the same. Um, and they both played their 70th test last night, and they've been in the team since the 2017 World Champs in Budapest, uh, maybe even slightly before. Um, and so they've been going for sort of six years, and they've played, um, they've only played 70 tests. Um, now, Australia do get more chances than us, but um, Zoe will be off to her third Olympics, no doubt, next year. Um, so she's been in that team for a long time, playing a lot of high-quality water polo. Uh, look, uh, I've just had somebody texting wanting to know, um, is it a sport that caters for all different sizes or do you need to be basically a man mountain or a female mountain, if I can use that terminology? Do you need to be of big physical stature to play the game? No, absolutely not. There is people of all shapes and sizes that play water polo. Um, it obviously is aerobically demanding. You've got to be pretty fit. But, um, you know, you've got people who are, who are big and strong, but then one of New Zealand's better players and Bernadette Doyle, you know, um, she's only... Oh, I won't put a number on it, but, you know, five foot six, five foot seven, if that, you know what I mean? Um, and she's she's one of our best players and was one of the leading goal scorers for us at the World Championships um, and has been for a long time. So mm. certainly can be small and sniff, um, shifty as well, rather than just um, big and strong. Now, huge sport in Europe, particularly in Eastern Europe, Croatia, Serbia, the Italians, we know how strong the American program is as well. What about on our men's side? We've been talking here about our women who are on the cusp of Olympic qualification, hopefully get there by default come 2032. Where's our men's program sit? Yeah, the, men are, the men are what we call a bit of a rebuilding phase at the moment. Um, they have sort of been off the, the map for the last couple of years, but uh, Matt Claridge out of the Hut Club has taken over um, the men's program and has sort of, you said, you know, worked with a lot of the younger boys who are in their, you know, really early 20s and trying to build a base and a big squad to build from there. Um, they they went to the World Aquatics Division Two Championships um, in Berlin earlier in the year. Um, and whilst they were winless, they certainly started to, you know, put in some performances that um, they'll be pleased with, especially against Kazakhstan in their first game. Um, so they'd be sort of ranked closer to 2025th in the world at the moment. But they've got, you know, they've got their chances. And I think if they can keep that core together for the next couple of years, um, they'll start to be getting stronger um, in the next, you know, next wee while. Now we've had a couple of uh, New Zealand players who have represented different countries and done pretty well at Olympic Games level. Kay's been one of them. Yeah, yeah the Joe Kay's. Um, from the you know from the Tauranga Club, um, he got picked up from a, a festival that's no longer run in New Zealand, but it's called the Pan Pacific Festival, um, and he got picked up and headed across to a club in, in Hungary, um, and played there for a while and before we had to came to Australia, um, getting his Australian passport, and he played for the Aussie Sharks um, at 2016 at the Rio Olympics. Um, we just saw him actually back playing for his Tauranga Club at the national championships a few weeks ago. Um, so, you know, he's done a great job. We had a lady called Frankie Snell 
Um, she was from the Marist Club and was playing this year for the Marist side, but in 2012 she played for Great Britain at the London Olympics alongside Angie and Stanley Smith, the New Zealand women's coach. Um, so we've had a couple of players go on for other countries, Rebecca Parks um, and someone else from the Tauranga Club, and she is a key part of the Hungarian side um, these days. And they won Olympic bronze in Tokyo, so there you go, a little bit of a sporting fact. People might not know that we've actually had a New Zealander win a bronze in women's water polo, just unfortunately not for us. <laughs> Hey Hamish, lovely, yeah. lovely to have you on the program. Thank you for some insight into what I think is an incredibly cool sport. No, thank you, Mark. Appreciate it as always. Thank you, Hamish McDonald. There talking all things water polo. You might want to comment on that. Anyone out there play water polo? Again, it's the game I didn't grow up with. I've sort of fallen into the commentary side of it. It's taken me some time to gain an understanding of it um, and to be comfortable calling it. And then again, nothing to do with me. I find my both kids sort of involved in it now. And the more I follow it, it is just the most brutal sport at times under the water uh, and so tough aerobically. That ability to have to swim on attack, suddenly swim back defensively, 30-second shot clock. You've got the egg beater kick, the power they can generate to get their hips high out of the water, to get that height. And the velocity at which they can shoot is remarkable. Most famous game in water polo, men's side, 1956. Blood in the water, Hungary versus Russia. The two nations had just been at war. They came out of the pool. Hungary won the game. When they came out of the pool, the pool was blood red.